You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers behind the scenes. And Matt is back! Yes, remotely. Uh, staying uh, quarantined in uh, in my apartment, which is mere doors away from Steve's. But still, I am a germaphobe, so I am recording from inside uh, my home, where I'm keeping my own diseases here. <laughs> Yes, we don't uh, social distance six feet away. We social distance six blocks away. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> and this week, we're we're doing something that it took over a year, but Trucker Bill, I hope that is your name. I'm pretty sure that was your name. We're doing Space Truckers. Attention, all personnel. The room is sealed. Set your weapons for close range! In the year 2196... Just lost contact with Command Post 3 outside the second perimeter. It's right outside! Someone has developed the ultimate destructive force. All they need is a man who'll deliver. What have you got? It is a rush shipment to Earth. No questions asked. We'll do it. Jeez, I've never seen trailers like these before. They look, um... Creepy. It's coming! You gotta tell us how to stop these things. Dennis Hopper, Stephen Dorr, and Debbie Mazar. Fire it up! Space Truckers. And it's kind of sad. Even sadder than COVID-19, we lost our man, Stuart Gordon. Yeah, it uh, kind of was a, a big surprise because he, he wasn't that old. And he, you know, he's been working almost consistently up until his death. So it was kind of a surprise and obviously super sad for all of us because, uh, you know, we all grew up on so many of his movies. Yeah, I just watched Fortress uh probably about a month ago on just random just i was like yeah i'll watch fortress and uh so that was kind of a blast for the past and that's definitely one that i forgot Stuart gordon did well the one we're watching today is one i always forget Stuart gordon did see this isn't one i forgot he did because it shocked me when i found out it existed about mm, i don't know I, I over a year ago because I just looked at that title and was like, what the F? <laughs> <laughs> I had actually I'd seen this on HBO once uh, and it was, you know, totally a surprise. It was a Stuart Gordon movie. It was totally a surprise that this movie existed. It just it, it totally is one of those movies that just sort of appeared. There was no space truckers and then there was space truckers. <laughs> yeah. And I read a little bit on it. Apparently, the only reason the U.S. didn't know about it was because they couldn't find a U.S. distributor. Which is weird. I yeah, feel with a guy who had done Reanimator and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and, and on and on and on. I thought a U.S. distributor for him would be easy. Also, yeah, the movie, like we'll talk about it when we get into the movie, but the movie looks huge. So you'd think this would be on the big screen. So they're obviously going for a franchise here. It looks like a bajillion bucks. Like it looks better than uh most stuff that was coming out in 96 uh so i'm honestly genuinely surprised that it didn't have any kind of a theatrical run yeah it had a 25 million dollar budget and they couldn't get a distributor in the u.s that just blows my mind yeah like honestly how did this movie even get made from the (laughs) get-go yeah he had to convince someone hardcore he's like listen I got a Star Wars film that's more like an Aliens film, but kind of mixed with, you know, an Empire slash uh, full moon production look. It looks more like an Empire Pictures than it does the full moon. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, when we started talking about the movie, but I, I guess I'll just mention it now. It does, it feels like a mega budget Empire movie. You know, like, the Empire movies were always floating around like a million dollars, two million, maybe 10 million at most. But with this being like a 25 million, like, this feels like a graduation of an Empire picture, kind of. That's that's what I thought about Super Mario Brothers, too. And, like, when I look at this film, I'm like, wow, this is just so much money pumped into a, a really just be a complete B-movie script. Absolutely. So, now, we better get into this film because when we pop this tape in, obviously, after you described the uh, the box art and read the back, we got 155 trailers here. So yes, so I we got we to get to work here. Right now. <laughs> describe this box art. Why would we rent this? You know, the box art itself is not that interesting. It's just like the floating heads of uh, our three stars, Dennis Hopper, Stephen Dorff, and Debbie Mazar. And uh, they're in like space suits. It's all red. You've got like a space truckers kind of like almost like spawn like logo, uh, like a McFarlane kind of logo. And it just says Earth's only hope. But I think the the thing that really sells this tape is that like it's a weird kind of like plastic uh and it feels nice and it's kind of like raised a little bit to box instead of the usual cardboard which is weird yeah this feels like that fancy uh cover art for a comic book yeah this is like a collector's edition uh comic book limited release whatever uh kind of uh feel to it here so i feel like i would pick this tape up just because you know it's shiny <laughs> It is odd too. It definitely has that '90s look, of, like you said, the the like <laughs> Spawn McFarlane S. It, uh, to me, when you see the movie, and then I would have saw that logo, I'd have been like, ah, I don't think this is matching. <laughs> yeah, the logo they use in the credits seems more like because that looks like an Empire poster like logo when the Space Truckers comes up as the title treatment in the movie. But the one they use on the box here is yeah. Total, like a totally different movie. Yeah, so I'm assuming whoever did this box art was, you know, like, uh, we got to do whatever we can to spice this up. Because, yeah, I'm looking at the poster right now that went out in Europe. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of seems it kind of has like a uh, what am I thinking of? Spaceballs. Oh, OK. I, I haven't yeah, seen, I've never seen any other poster besides this one, because uh, this is all I this is all I ever knew of this movie. <laughs> Yeah, there's several ones. There's ones that kind of look like Red Dwarf. There's one that looks like Spaceball. You know, it's like it's a bunch of different ones. I don't think they had any clue how to sell this. No, and it, it we'll get into it, but it is almost an unsellable movie. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. So we really mean that with like, how the hell did they get twenty five million dollars? And yeah. I'm going to spoil this for you. I don't know. <laughs> There's not enough info on this behind the scenes on this. Very little, folks. I know that's not how you tease to you know to stay tuned, but you look it up yourself. There ain't much. I I did. I was looking it up as I was kind of watching the movie too, because I was watching it uh, last night, and uh, I was like, I can't find anything other on this movie, like at all. I could not find a single thing. It's this just weird blip. The only thing I could tell. That, you know, behind the scenes or whatever, is that this was made in 96, but came out in 98. So there was a two year gap before this tape eventually came out. Yeah, I had read that it was made 96 and it was distributed uh, in Europe in 97. And then the U.S. picked it up in 98 because they couldn't get a distributor. There's just a little bit more and I'll save that for the end. But the back of this, read this uh, wacky ass synopsis. So you get a review at the top from uh, Harry Knowles, gross, uh, from Anna Cool News. Uh, we could just uh, say it right out. We don't like him. Uh, but his review, of course, is A-M-A-Z-I-N-G, Pierce, genius, fantastic. Uh, Harry Knowles, Anna Cool News. The year is 2196. John Canyon, Dennis Hopper, is a down-on-his-luck independent trucker trying to keep an honest living, transporting loads across the solar system in his rocket-powered rig. In a last-ditch effort to stay in business rather than being forced into teaming with the corporation, Canyon joins forces with Mike Pucci, Stephen Dorff, to pull off a dangerous transport. Contents unknown. At over five times the going rate, it's an offer they can't refuse. With the help of a stowaway, Cindy, Debbie Mazar, the trio set out on an adventure they will never forget. 
To make the scheduled deadline, Canyon abandons the usual shipping lanes and heads for the Scum Cluster, a war zone of bandits, black rocks, and rogue asteroids, where they eventually are hijacked by uh, a name I can't read because there's a bunch of dots over it, but I think it's Regalia, a pirate warship headed by Captain Macanudo, Macanudo, Charles Dance, it is here the secret of the mystery containers is revealed and the battle for the universe begins. Yeah, there's a there's like a on this cover here or on this back cover here, uh it's still that red but they're like showing space and where I was stumbling there there's like almost like a like a a sun peeking through and you can't read the words on the back. <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure whoever did this cover, whoever did the whole VHS slip, they didn't know much about <laughs> VHS slips because it's just there's a lot about this slip cover that's weird. Yeah. Okay, then we have like images on there in like these green they almost look like DVD menus. Uh like these green boxes of just like stills from the movie. Nothing very nothing particularly interesting. Uh, uh right under the PG thirteen though we do get a look at one of the alien monster things from the movie. Uh, which are pretty cool looking. So I think that would have been a selling point if I would have picked up this tape. I honestly think they really should have uh, concentrated on Charles Dance. <laughs> on yeah, well, he's not anywhere on this cover, uh, on the back. Like, his name is listed, but that's it. Like, he, they should be showing that character and, you know, pumping the fact he's in it because he was pretty popular at this time. He's always a bad guy and he's over... He's always over the top in the best way possible. Yeah. Love every he's always minute great. of him. Yeah, I always love when Charles dances and stuff. I'm glad he's still working. Oh, yeah. he's was huge in uh, Game of Thrones for like the first four seasons. He's in like the Godzilla franchise now, too. So he's killing it. Yeah, love him. But we don't have time to waste anymore. We've got to get in to the trailers. Now playing at a motion picture theater near you. I was just going to say, this is one of the most absurd VHSs for trailers I have ever seen. This is a never-ending lineup. Well, how many do we have there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine trailers. And from a company I honestly had never heard of. Yeah, I had to look up Sterling Entertainment, and it's actually kind of hard to find information on Sterling Entertainment because there are three different Sterling Entertainments, and there's like a Sterling Entertainment group, there's a Sterling Entertainment, and this one is Sterling Home Entertainment. I had to make that differentiation to try to find any information on them. Apparently, they were only around from 98 to 2000, and in 2000, they got swallowed up by Lionsgate. Of course it's Lionsgate. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the only information on that. And they gave us nine, not only nine trailers, but nine, like, two and a half to three minute long trailers. Yes. And this is kind of amazing. Out of nine trailers, I had not seen any of these. Same. That's rare. Same. I, so I'm I'm actually super, super impressed. But um, the first one was Money King's mob movie, Freddie Prince Jr., I wrote this one down because I would absolutely watch this movie. Well, anytime they're trying to sell Freddie Prince Jr. as a quote unquote tough guy who's collecting money for the mob. I'm like, yeah, that's a miscast. (laughs) (laughs) Especially in 1998. Like that is like fresh. Like she's all that Freddie Prince. Yeah, and it's got um, uh, Columbo in it. I forget uh, the actor's name. Yeah, Peter Falk. Yeah, what? What? Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah. And those two guys are not mob movie material. So they were definitely trying the, oh, let's cast him and see if we can turn him, you know, kind of like do that, that switcheroo on audiences. Apparently it didn't work because <laughs> I've never, yeah, heard, I of never heard of it. <laughs> but uh, definitely I'm going to try to check this one out. Uh, another one was a TV movie I found out, which was called Route 9. And it's your basic cops find dirty money and they're trying to hide it while, you know, at the same time, the idiots are like buying stuff. So it's obvious something's up. Yeah. That's what I got out yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh, what, no, but there was exciting. another movie uh, around this time, too, that Bill, uh, not Bill Pullman, but um, who am I thinking of where they found money? It was in the winter. Oh, this is Bill, the Bill Paxton one. The Bill Simple Paxton, Plan. The yeah. Sam Raimi Simple movie. Simple Plan. Yes. 
That's what this reminded me of. Yeah, and it looks exactly. To, it looks like exactly the same movie. <laughs> yeah, and that had to come out around the same time, right? Late nineties. Yeah, this must be the you know like dumbed down version of that, the a little <laughs> TV movie version. Right. Uh, and then we had Prodigy, which is just Alien Baby. Yeah, I definitely want to see this one. Yeah, this looks right up our alley. This looks like Alien fun trash. He's like uh, apparently I, I, hard to find. Oh, really? Also, because I kind of looked this one up. Yeah, apparently a little hard to find. Uh, I'm thinking this is a TV movie also. Just a Would guess. not be surprised. Yeah. Would not be surprised at all. Uh, and then another one where they definitely spent money. I saw A Murder of Crows with Cuba Gooding Jr. and Tom Berenger. Yeah, this is the only one of all of these movies that I had actually heard of. And it's not because I've ever seen this movie, but I do remember seeing this VHS at the video store when it came out, probably because Cuba had just won the Oscar. So they were still probably pumping it pretty hard. And this may have been one of like Sterling's big like anchor titles uh, because I had heard of this one. This one I I had not seen uh, and definitely had forgotten about. But I remember this was on HBO or Showtime, one of those two. Because it, when it shows, like, in New Orleans, and then I was like, oh, this is the Cuba movie. Yeah, where he's like a lawyer that steals a story. I remember this when it came out. This is the only one, though. Again. Yep, this is the only one I knew. Yeah, and it also had um, Eric Stoltz in it, which is crazy because he's like third or fourth build on this. Actually, just going through all of these trailers that for these TV movies or these straight-to-video movies or whatever, all these things that Sterling was putting out, all of these movies have stars in them. And people who were famous, like, at that time, these aren't, like, people on the way down. Like, Freddie Prince was just blowing up. And, like, uh, yeah, Murder of the Crows, like, Cuba had just won the Oscar, and Tom Berenger was an Oscar nominee, and, like, Eric Stoltz is an uh, Oscar nominee. Like, it was... They had stars for these movies. They definitely had some good connections. Uh, then here's one that like I'd never heard of. Definitely the base. It's the army yes, of one with, type. Yes, uh, with my boy Mark Dacascus. Uh I would watch. Any, I'll watch anything with him. I do not remember this guy. Is this an action star that they just tried to make? I don't. Yeah, he's uh he's in Double Dragon. Um, he's one of the brothers, and he's also just done a bunch of these sort of like mid-budget range action movies he's the double dragon guy okay yeah all right that makes sense yeah i remember him he looked like he had his head shaved or something in this um yeah the army type guy different look for him Mm -hmm. and the whole selling point of this was from the director of commando right which is now doing which is enough to get me to watch it Yeah, I think he's now that that he's had one hell of a like a rut. He's like now doing like asylum type movies. The director of Commando, Oof. I forget his name. Yeah, he's he's really fallen. But man, he did a lot of great action schlock in the late '80s. Uh, I cannot remember his name. I guess I could look it up. I mean, that's pretty difficult, right? Here, we'll talk about the next one. Uh, Gunshy, William Peterson, Michael Wincott, and Diane Lane. Yeah. Uh, just another like kind of like uh not erotic thriller but like adult thriller kind of thing just looks pretty standard yeah it definitely looks like something matt would rent uh mark l lester that was the director of commando didn't he do commando and the running man let me look it up yeah wow he's done so many movies this is gonna be really hard to get to yeah oh showdown in little tokyo and yeah, Public Enemies. He's done some movies, but now he's doing absolute jack shit. <laughs> His last movie is called The Gardener. Oh no! <laughs> oh, and that, well. I I kind of remember that that it's got a really terrible cover. Uh, I kind of remember was that like 2007? Are you talking about The Gardener? Yeah. No, that's 2020. Oh, he's doing it now. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, you must be thinking of some other lovely film. I'm sure <laughs> he's done a lot of these Yeti, the curse of the snow demon. I'll watch that. It sounds like a sci-fi. <laughs> uh, okay. Back to the actual story. Uh, back to the trailers here. We got late, late night TV movie. Uh, I don't even remember who the- this is. Emilio Estevez in it. Um, Emilio Estevez, Steven Weber. It looks like a, like a, it had like a stacked cast. Uh, another one of these that had a stacked cast. So it's like, looks like a, 
darker comedy, not like a dark comedy, but a darker comedy, you know, ensemble TV movie thing. Uh, also look this one up extremely hard to find. This is the hardest one to find of the batch. Ah, it's a TV movie. That's probably why. At least IMDb yeah, said I it know. was a TV movie. Yeah, I don't know if it's a rights thing or what happened with this one, but like all these other ones you can either find still on VHS or DVD or on some kind of streaming. This one is the one that's like impossible to find of all the movies that we watch the trailers. I wonder if Emilio Estevez just buried it. Or any of the stars in the movie, because there were so many of them. They probably banded together and were like, nope, (laughs) not this one. Uh, Then the next one was Prisoner of Love with uh, Naomi Campbell when she was uh, doing her little acting thing. Yeah, and she was kind of blowing up. I think this was a TV movie also, like TV movie thriller. This one looked kind of boring, though. This one didn't do anything for me. Oh, yeah. I just it kind of I don't even remember much about the trailer. Actually, I didn't even know that was Naomi Campbell until I looked it up. And I was like, oh, that's who that was. That's why she looked kind of familiar. And then the last one, finally, The Confession with Baldwin and uh, Ben Kingsley. Yeah, I guess I should. Also looks pretty boring. Yeah, this is just like where he's and this isn't like 30 Rock Baldwin. This is like when he was younger and still trying to be really serious. Yes, this is like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Alec Baldwin, for sure. Yeah, he needs a little bit more booze in him. And then later on, we can get 30 Rock Baldwin, which is the best. And then I think that's yeah, he's also Baldwin. Yeah, that's when he's angry at reporters Baldwin. That's when he's the best. Yes. So, yes. yeah, this was your stupid, like, attorney defending someone. But the twist on this was Ben Kingsley's uh, character wanted to like be guilty because he wanted to go to jail as a martyr as revenge for his son's death. And I was like, okay, I, I don't care about these, these things, these lawyer movies come out all the time where they're like defending the weak or something like that. Like, man, do these ever really sell? I guess they I must. Don't know who, I don't know who watches these. I, I imagine that these work well on TV. You know, these probably sell to HBO or TNT Mm -hmm. because that's probably their audience. But that that probably begins and ends there because I know nobody ever talks about these movies either anymore. Like they came out, they kind of came and went. People, a couple of people maybe saw them because there were stars in them. And that was it. That's the end of the story. I feel like old people watch this as long along with like most CBS shows or whatever, though, you know, like all these blue blood type shows where they're like old people love it when lawyers are heroes. You know, you got the firm. Yeah. It started with Tom Cruise and the firm, and then all these things they come out each fucking year. It's got to be old people. It's yeah, gotta be. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Anyway, let's get into the story of this feature presentation. And now our feature presentation. This starts off perfect. It's a super weapon, and it kind of looks cool. These little alien monster things. Oh, they're not monsters. They're robots. Yeah, they look super cool, and everything. Like we we talked about at the top, like everything in this movie looks amazing. Like it's shot super wide, anamorphic, looks very cinematic. It's, you know, and it's shot well in general. And then like also like the effects look pretty good. The practical effects look amazing. Uh, So like this starts off and it's like huge. Yeah, this is perfect big budget empire type movie. Just like everything they ever wanted to do in an empire movie, they just made it bigger and better yeah they got they got to do it here they got to do the big space epic here right away we get introduced i would say within five minutes you know exactly what this film is going to be like okay we got to stop those robots we got some an evil corporation and then we got a, a trucker that don't take no shit from no one and that's dennis hopper but i feel like kind of miscast in this movie like I'm supposed to be getting like a, you know, Joe Trucker, you know, like a regular guy. And he's just being Dennis Hopper in this movie, which like it's not I don't know. It doesn't translate exactly here. He's definitely playing it down compared to, you know, like a lot of his other (laughs) films where they're like Dennis Hopper. Here you go. Here's a bunch of cocaine. Do whatever you want. Like early Dennis Hopper, you know, Waterworld Dennis Hopper. It's it's lower than that. He's not at a 10 here. Yeah. I'd say he's more like at a five, much calmer than I'm. Yeah, he's pretty subdued. Yeah, he's pretty subdued, but it just doesn't. I just don't buy. I still can't buy Dennis Hopper as like Joe, everybody trucker guy, just like an everyman. Like, 
No, Dennis Hopper is Dennis Hopper. I don't, I don't buy him as the everyman. Yeah, I almost think this character should have been younger, uh, kind of like in his 40s where he's not quite the old man grizzled vet yet, but he's also not the young, you know, green or, you know, he, he's not young enough to be that like innocent, naive, but he's also not that old enough to be so grizzled. I think you should have cast right. a guy in his 40s or 50s. I think Dennis Hopper is probably around 60, 65 around here. I would I would guess. Yeah, I would I would agree. And I agree with you there that it should have probably been a slightly younger uh, actor in this this part. Yeah. Where's Bill Pullman? Put him in here or Bill Paxton. Perfect. Yeah. Either one of them would have rocked this. Yeah. So and then you get the, the younger characters. You know, uh, I do not remember her name. She's playing Sydney. Oh, I forgot her name. It's uh, it's Debbie Mazar. Debbie Mazar, which later I only know her for um, Entourage. But she's got quite a bit of acting credits. She's in Batman Forever, uh, which I would know because I watch that movie monthly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she's a character actor. She's been around forever. She's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, she's got a unique look, so I'm sure a lot of directors love to just... I mean, any visual director is going to like her. She can also act, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, she's got a unique look. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, then we had uh, Stephen uh, Dorif. I mean, he's... I Man, I looked up his credits, and I did not realize how much this man works. Yeah, he works. He's in a lot of stuff. I Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff I just looked up, and I'm like, I do not remember you. Because, you know, I remember him, obviously, from, you know, Blade and when he started his run there in the late nineties, which I guess this is, you know, this studio again, kind of like Freddie Prince jr. Picking him up this young talent before he exploded onto the scene. Like after this and after like blade, like he is like top lining a lot of movies. Like he's, he's the star of a lot of stuff for a while after this movie. Yeah. I, I would say, I feel like from like 98 to 2004, he really, that's where his peak was his prime. And then he kind of started doing more of his like TV stuff and he wasn't quite a leading man. He probably didn't sell enough. So that's probably when he got his most amount of credits. <laughs> I guarantee you from like 2005 and up, he's probably just loaded with oh, yeah. a lot of stuff. It became a worker. Yeah, probably. And he's great. He's always he's a good actor every time he shows up. He brings it every time. Yeah, he's always one of these guys that he kind of seems like he can play at a, a lot of different levels. He can be really over the top like he was in Blade. And he can be, he's a lot more subdued in this film. I thought he was going to be the like crazy young kid who doesn't understand he's going too far. You know, he, he needs to learn how to turn down the aggression. But really, he just kind of seemed like he knew what he was doing, <laughs> even though he was supposed yeah. to be the yeah, rookie was... truck driver. Yeah, I kind of got the vibe that him and Dennis Hopper were like on the same level. And it was like, oh, so they're not like different then at all. <laughs> no, he needed to fuck up a lot more. And he just didn't. Yeah. The only thing they did was butt heads. And even that I didn't get a lot of. Right. Yeah. It it basically just becomes like a love triangle between the three of them. And because uh, she, in order to get off of the uh, planet that they're on or whatever, the the moon or whatever they're on uh she agrees to marry dennis hopper but then falls in love with steven dorf while they're in space together the whole thing between dennis hopper and her was just weird i never felt it it always felt more like a, a father-daughter thing and this whole thing where you're just like oh you know i want to marry you okay if i can get you to earth then you got to marry me i never that never felt like it really materialized it just felt odd and I really think they should have thrown that out. Yeah, there's I agree with you. There's no like chemistry there. There's um, zero. I think Stephen Dorff and Dennis Hopper have better chem like Dennis Hopper and Stephen Dorff have better chemistry than the 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 love interest uh story. Yeah, definitely. I would have I would have rather seen them go around, you know, not to get rid of her character. I just think you needed to concentrate more on Stephen Dorff and her or choose Stephen Dorff and Dennis Hopper. You, you got to choose one of right. those. I, I just don't think all three of them quite gelled. So no. I completely agree with you on that. But then this whole story starts off when he brings like genetic hogs. And then we get, you know, a cameo from George Wentz, which I always love when he just pops into these movies. Yeah, he, this totally has like the uh, 
the Stuart Gordon uh, troop kind of all in small parts here with like you got George Went, uh, Barbara Crampton shows up later and uh, his wife is in it, too, as one of like the people at the diner. It's it's got these little parts from all the Stuart Gordon regulars. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, George Went is like uh, he works for the company, which they say over and over. I don't even know what the company's name is, but it's an evil company, I guess, that does things all around the universe. Are we just going to call it the Empire? Is is that what we're going to call it? The working man, the blue collar empire is what it seems like. Yeah, he brings genetic hogs and it's like, you owe me this money. And they're like, yeah, you're late. So we'll only pay you this. And then, you know, we have a a pretty interesting uh, diner fight which George Wentz gets sucked out of a uh, air ventilation shaft and it's glorious. I love every moment of it. And this is what really kind of like dips it down into full moon territory. Yeah. It's silly. It's super silly. And it actually, this is one of those movies too. It, this is a PG 13 movie that I don't think needs to be like an R like it didn't need to be because it, it is, it's so silly. It is. I, I think kids, th- this is also part of like why this movie must be really hard to market. Because you can't go the full bloody alien truckers in space. But mm-hmm. where is this? So with the, yeah, with all the bright colors and everything. You know what? This feels kind of like a, a 90s comic book movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this definitely falls, you know, with like uh, the mask and things like that. Obviously not as good, but like that look, that feel, that vibe. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I got from all this. But we have a we have a diner fight, and then you know our crew, our crew of three, have got to escape. They go down. Actually, I thought this was really clever with the the woman in the uh, the toilet. Ah, uh, get away mm-hmm. from me! And the, the robot, yeah, occupied, yeah. and he, you know puts the code into her mouth basically, and it shoots him down to like the secret CD quarters of the ship. Or actually, this is more of like a a truck stop diner. So it like goes down to the seedy part of it and they get, you know, a uh, a freight so they can get home to earth. Well, at least Sydney can get home to earth to see her dying, quote unquote, possibly dying mother, even though it just seems like a normal surgery when they make it. Right. I got to get home for my mom's really important surgery. And then they get there and they're like, Hey, how's it going, honey? Uh, really? <laughs> hey, we, we just froze her. That's all we did. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, uh, they think it's yeah. sex toys in the back of the freight, and then it ends up being the evil, you know, robots. Yeah. Uh, all of this, uh, you said comic book movie, too. Like, all of this, and you, it reminded me when you said the uh, the woman in the bathroom that takes him down to the CD underquarters, because he, like, rips her head open and then puts the, the code in, mm-hmm. and then, like, sort of as this all goes on, this reminds me, this section of the movie, or maybe the movie in general, I don't know. Uh, the, this all reminds me, though, of like a Total Recall, like a like a direct-to-video kind of version of a Total Recall. Yeah, I got Total Recall, and I got a little bit of the fifth element in certain parts, because he's like a blue-collar totally. blue hero. And yeah, that's exactly what, yeah, it's those two movies kind of like jammed together in a way. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they take the freight, and before they know it, they go to the seedy part of space, and they're dodging black rocks. I don't know what the hell that is, but okay. Uh, And then they get, uh, their ship gets hit, you know, they're stranded in space, and then they get picked up by the evil scientist's new gang. And then we find out Charles Dance, the evil scientist, has completely repaired his body. Because what we forgot to mention was he was killed by his own invention by the, I guess, president or general of the CD company, <laughs> the Blue Collar Empire. And, the, you know, he was mm-hmm. supposedly dead. So now he rebuilds his body and he is a fun, over the top, evil scientist that's also half machine. There's something like. And I don't know if it is just the appearance of Charles Dance or like the movie finds its groove or whatever. But like the first half of this movie weirdly is paced like kind of slow. And there you got a lot of space stuff and there's some space adventures and there's some robots and stuff like that. But it it's slower paced. And it's like once Charles Dance shows up in this second half here, the movie then really flies like yeah. I feel like I was kind of like looking at the time during the first half. And then the second half, I was like, oh, it's over already. Like it, it, 
totally changes pace halfway through. Yeah, once they get picked up by this space pirate gang, then it starts to just get fun. Then we get some fights with the robots and the space pirates that end up, you know, they get destroyed by the super robots. Then Charles Dance is just, this is nuts. Takes Sydney and he's going to have sex with her. And then he reveals his whole backstory of how he rebuilt his body and his super lab. And I, he, it goes to a part of the movie. I, di- I didn't think this movie would go here where he then starts starting up his new reconstructed lawnmower dick. I rebuilt everything. <laughs> Every organ. I emit a low-amp electrical wang pulse designed to drive women wild with pleasure. He starts pulling the string to have sex with her, and I'm like, wow, this is Stuart Gordon. This is like where he just goes, yes, finally, I get to do this. This reminds me of just the craziness of, like, from beyond. Oh, yeah. Uh, anything like weird sexually, uh, Stuart Gordon is totally into, and this is this is it right here. This is the movie's version of that for sure. Yeah, because we have the head scene, the zombie head scene in Reanimator. We have all the body horror, kinky stuff, and from beyond, you know. And then we get into what Castle Freak, where he's biting the nipple off of a prostitute. I mean, there's just so much that he does in his films. <laughs> and even yeah. in this one, that kind of looks like they want to market it to teenagers, maybe? He has this. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's hard to believe this guy did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, and restrained himself enough to handle that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, and then the the robots escape, kill all the pirates, and then we find out that Charles Dance definitely likes cigars. Because he has a cigar... Yeah, basically the entire time he's on camera as this evil half robot, half scientist. And he's always licking him. Did you notice that? Yeah, he's he's like he's really acting with like what he's got like left because so much of him is covered by these uh, prosthetics and stuff like that. So he's like doing a lot of like face acting. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, dick jokes in this because we have him grabbing Stephen Dwarf's. <laughs> a dick in this and he's just like is this your Johnson and he goes no no that's actually mine and then he on the robots he's he's grabbing I guess they're like heart but it looks like a ball sack and it, yeah and he's like squeezing them and playing with them yeah, yeah. and I'm like yeah and then he was licking his cigar and obviously that's a phallic object and I was like wow is this a Charles Dance thing or is this a I don't know who is this who's doing this I, I have a feeling it's a Stuart Gordon thing because he is into all that uh, weird kinky stuff. So I'm assuming that that's where that all uh, came from. But it is it's very entertaining. Uh, it's very funny. But it, it like also too like I feel like this would sell the movie as like a PG. Like teenagers want to see gross stuff like this. You know, like this should be a selling point for the movie. Yeah, but you got to go farther. I think you got to go a little bit more, and you obviously have to show it on the cover or the back. Right, you have to show that it's going to be weird and goopy and like kind of dirty, like <laughs> like. And now, is that what teenagers want to yeah, see? I, I feel like these were the spin people who got a hold of this, and they're like, "Oh, let's stay away from that kinky crap. Let's sell it more like you know, truckers in space." Yeah, like, uh, like a McFarland thing. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, I don't know. I think you need to go to the. Freaky, freaky deaky way, uh, but especially in the 90s, yeah. we did all kinds of weird. Absolutely. That's what we were all into. Yeah, because you got to it's right before the bro comedies, like the road trips and, the you know, wedding crashers and the old schools It was right before all the bro comedies. I think you had this little image mm-hmm. of like weird, gross out funny, you know, when you started with the. Well, I don't know. Was Jackasses in the late 90s or early 2000s? Uh, that was the late 90s, I think they started the show. Yeah, I feel like there was a window there where we got all the gross-out comedy. Yeah, this this should have, they should have played it up a little bit more. Yeah, and I'm surprised there wasn't more jokes on them transporting sex dolls. Yeah, it kind of just, that was just like a, a verbal thing they said a couple times and that was it. 
Yeah, so they, I mean, really, this is just the end of it. They defeat the robots. Uh, they make it back home to Earth. Dennis Hopper, it's a, it's a happy ending. And uh, then you see mm-hmm. Barbara Crampton, which is supposed to be Sydney's mom. And I paused the movie because I had to look up her age. And this is before it actually tells what happened to her. So I had wrote all their mm-hmm. ages down. Well, not exact. Just, you know, I was like, okay, Dennis Hopper's around 60. He's uh, wanting to marry uh, a girl that's in her early 30s. Her mom's in her 40s, but looks in her th- early 30s. Or maybe- Barbara Crampton's incredible at 40 years old here. I could not believe she was 40. Yeah, she, she doesn't age. She doesn't age at all. She looks the same now. That's insane. I, when I looked at her, I was like, what? Why aren't you playing like the main hottie in this? You know, that's, that's what they're doing here. Like, we, we need a pretty face. I'm surprised Barbara Crampton didn't agree to play Sydney. Or maybe this was written for yeah, she her, could eat. and then, I don't know, maybe she was busy. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, then, when she was in the movie, and she was doing kind of, like, Debbie Mazar's, yeah. like, accent, yeah. it made me wish that in the 90s we got, like, a Harley Quinn movie, because Barbara Crampton could have done it. And I did, never would have thought that until I saw this movie. Yeah, I always think Barbara Crampton was a much better actress than she ever got credit for. And it's sad that she yeah, could think- never break like the B-movie window to get to like something bigger. Because I think she would have fit in, right? I think she's one of the actresses that could have done either. Big budget or B, which is tough to do. Oh, yeah. I honestly feel like, and I don't know this or anything, but I just feel like it was her choice. I feel like she just liked doing the weird movies. Maybe. Maybe she did, but... I know she really liked uh, Stuart Gordon because she got to play like a scientist in From Beyond instead of just like, you know, a girl in distress. Which I'm sure she was doing a lot of it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, just two of them, I think about right away or Reanimator and Chopping Mall, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, she got to play a, a scientist in that, even though she did say, well, it was also a Stuart Gordon scientist, which means she had to be, you know, kinky. Yeah, I'm like yeah, it's Stuart Gordon. But uh, yeah, it, it ends, and then they ex- uh, they get to kill the president on accident, which I thought was a funny way to end. Where he gives him a briefcase, like, "Hey, don't talk about all these killer robots that I had, you know, that were coming to Earth. Here's a bag full of money." And then they get into a fight. Don't take that money. They throw it out the window, and right before the president presses the button to uh you know make the explosives go off it lands on his roof and kills him yep i liked it and obviously yeah that was funny they were trying to set this up as a franchise yeah because they go back uh now the four of them because barbara crampton has joined the team the four of them go off into space to go on more adventures and i'm like yeah they wanted to do more with this and obviously because it looks so gigantic and it's you know the in its scope or whatever that uh they're trying to franchise this. They're trying to turn it into a bigger thing. Which now looking back just seems like completely ridiculous that they ever thought they could get a franchise out of this. I'm surprised they got one movie yeah. out of this. But, uh, you know, there are uh, there are three Robot Jocks movies. So <laughs> maybe yeah. Stuart Gordon was like, you never know. <laughs> and isn't there now like five Cyborg movies? So, eh, again, you never know. Yeah, exactly. Anything can happen. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. I mean, we pretty much said all the behind the scenes. That's all. The only thing I got was, you know, most of the, this movie is one of the, the best ones to look at when it comes to breaking space rules. <laughs> you know, you have like Charles Dance where they're, you've got Dennis Hopper and Steven Dorff's characters in like spacesuits because there's no air. Mm. And then you've got them lighting a cigar. That one cracked me up. Eh, right. Yeah, it's not how fireworks. Uh, and then did you ever notice like their characters don't seem to be really worried that they're in zero gravity they're just like throwing themselves around in space outside of the spaceship i know they have like magnet boots but uh a little ridiculous that they don't seem to be afraid at all that was about it i the only thing i could find on this is apparently it was financed by an irish company who I don't know. I it's just as an Irish company. It's the it's the company. It's the corporation. You know that's who funded it's it. The lizard people that uh you know have the evil company in Ireland. I'm sure it's moved by now. Obviously sure. they got to keep moving. 
<laughs> it's, it all checks out. I it's it's just funny because it just has like things about the movies like Stuart Gordon convinced a uh, a company in Ireland to fund a lot of the movie, and I'm like, and that's it? Did you guys just make this up? What is this? Uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't find. I literally could not find anything on this movie when I was looking it up. I mean, I didn't go like I didn't deep dive, but like uh, in my sort of surface searching, it's really hard to find anything about this movie. No, it just. I'm I'm just glad I could find a VHS of it. Yeah, it's not on any kind of streaming things or anything right now, so probably have to just... Oh, I know it did come out on DVD eventually. I think Lionsgate put out a DVD of it, but uh, I feel like that's the only ways you could see it is if you own it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that DVD of it's probably just a uh, a rip of the VHS. I don't think they spent any money or time. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, just like rip it out, stretch it, it's fine. Yeah, a lot of those early Lionsgate DVDs are just... VHS transfer, so I'm certain that that's what that is. <laughs> yep. I guess we'll move on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out like Indy into the film jungle, bring something back to our museum. Oh no, Stuart! This is the we got to make a Stuart Gordon wing in remembrance. And uh, I guess with this, what I would say is, I kind of just want to put whatever they were doing with Charles Dance into the museum because as an evil scientist, half robot, I mean that's just that's exactly what I love. That's what I grew up watching. It's just crazy shit like that. Yeah, he's fan. He's fantastic in this movie, uh, and it's a great character. He's the best part of the movie, I think. Yeah, I think that's a great inclusion uh, to the museum. Reminds me a little bit of the crazy evil scientists in Eliminators. Yeah, a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, what do you got? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and actually put in um, you know, the the immediate hook for me in the movie was uh, Matt Goldberg's uh, cinematography in this. Mm -hmm. I love the way this movie shot. Uh, I love how expensive it looks. I love. However, like the practical effects look good. This, the CGI looks good. And this is 1996 CGI, which doesn't never looks good. But for what this movie's doing, it looks pretty good. Uh, so I, yeah, I got to put in the cinematography. And Mac Alberg shot like all of Stuart Gordon's big ones, like, you know, Castle Freak, Reanimator. Uh, and then he also shot like a ton of Empire movies, like Ghoulies and stuff like that. Uh, and this also feels like a graduation for him, too. He finally gets to play with a big canvas here. So I'm going to put in the cinematography. Yeah, he did a good job. I could definitely tell that the they really knew. They looked like they planned out a lot of shots. Like this was storyboarded really well, too. I could I could kind of feel like that. I just feel like the story was a little loose. They didn't quite know where to, to aim this. I think uh, the script needed another pass, but the cinematography, you're right. Woo, looked good. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I'd say overall, you know, if you get the, uh, get the chance to pick this one up, I would, but I, I don't, I don't love this movie. I think it's okay. I think it's pretty good. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff in it, but it like kind of like almost doesn't really have like a lot of like a like a heartbeat for like the first half of the movie like it really takes charles dance showing back up for the movie to kind of find its rhythm and it, it is still just like it's almost too big for the story or something like that like they needed to they definitely need another pass on the script or something like that uh to kind of refine it a little bit more the casting's a little weird especially with dennis hopper i wish you know we got like maybe a bill pullman bill paxton kind of guy in that role uh like you said um, so it's okay. I think it's okay. Yeah, it, it doesn't go far enough in the weirdness to be really memorable. It, uh, it restricts itself way too much. It's pulling its punches at the beginning. They're trying too hard to be a serious film, but at the same time, a lot of people were probably scared because they're spending so much money. So at yeah. the end of the day, and that's probably, that might be the thing that killed it a little bit. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's trying to appeal to too many audiences. Right. And that kills a lot of those movies, though, uh, especially I'm assuming this, you know, wherever they got their backing, some random Irish company, whatever, someone else. I, I feel like this happens when you get people who probably aren't used to being in the film business. Like you can't pull your punches. You got to go all the way with something. Yeah. And honestly, I really I still feel like you could do this movie PG-13. I feel like the rating doesn't hurt it. It's just like lean into your weird 
just lean into the weird and you could still have a PG 13, you know, franchise bait possibly movie. You just, you gotta, you gotta just go for it. Like it doesn't need to be gross. It just needs to be weird. It just needs to, you know, lean into its best parts. Well, it's gotta go action or you gotta lean into the weird. You gotta do something. Like you said, just like, where are you going? Where are you going with this? Cause it doesn't yeah. feel like an alien aliens movie. It doesn't feel like a, you know, like a spawn. Well, not spawn. That was not, <laughs> you got me with the logo on that. But what I meant to say was, you know, it doesn't go blade territory of like really cool action. Got to go somewhere with it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That will do it for this week in uh COVID-19 shelter life. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, we will miss Stuart Gordon, but we always have his classics. Yeah, and you know what? Honestly, this one is still pretty good. It's okay, so it's worth it. Uh, dude's had a hell of a career, a hell of a filmography, and I think a lot of us uh, wouldn't be here today uh, without his movies. Uh, at least, you know, like uh, all of us nerds that talk about him and have podcasts and have T-shirts and have had our movies signed at conventions and stuff like that. Reanimator, I feel like, really kicked into the door for a whole new world of fandom, and it certainly did for me. Uh, that was a big one for me. So uh, he will be missed, but at least we have all of his great, great films, and his entire filmography is fun to watch. So at least we have all that. Yeah, I think it kicked in. You had Evil Dead Two, and you had Reanimator. I think just you know, Evil Dead Two might have you know kicked kicked the door in but like then reanimator came and just like stuck a piece of dynamite in the house and let it explode it's like these these comedies these horror comedies just came out of nowhere and it's because of those two films and because of two great filmmakers yeah at least those those and, are the uh, first yes, horror comedies i remember oh they were they were among the first to like yeah really just uh come out and shape a taste and shape uh shape a generation of horror fans you know return of living deads and reanimator and evil dead 2 and some of the friday the 13th movies you know like those were those are big deals so it's you know Stuart gordon's definitely a part of that like absolutely for for sure and you know what also too we didn't even mention it we're doing this from chicago yeah. and Stuart gordon's like our hometown boy for for horror he's our horror guy he went to the same high school i went to like <laughs> like Stuart gordon's like hometown hero for us horror fans so it's a tough loss. It sucks. Yeah, you got the the epicenter of weird. Just it started in started yes. in the backyard here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh man, we need more weirdos from Chicago to be making movies. That's right, we do. All right, that will do it for this week. So remember to be kind and rewind.